Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read through the end of this chapter today, starting in verse uh, 24. But we will not exhaust this chapter today, I don't think. I think we will be back in Romans chapter 1 at least one more Sunday. But there's such an important concept here. Well, there's several important concepts here that we need to, we need to grasp as, as the church. And we need to grasp as we look at our culture around us. We've already talked about that a lot. And, and talked about the downward spiral of culture that we see. But today, I want us to talk about, as the title indicates, the terrible pattern of ever-increasing sin. The terrible pattern of ever-increasing sin. Because that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to see in this passage. That's what God wants us to hear and see in this passage. So follow along as I read beginning in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to the impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now I want you to know that's going to be our focus this morning. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, rather than the one who has all authority, rather than the one who has spoken clearly through his word. They chose to follow after man's ways rather than God's ways. That is so important for us to understand, not only as, as we look at our culture, but it's so important, that, so important that we understand it as we look at our own lives, as we look at the church. 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind or a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Whew. That's a list. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they also give approval to those who practice them. They know, they know that God says they're not to be involved in this, all of that catalog there that he gave, but yet they not only do it, they give their approval to those who practice it. They encourage it, they endorse it, they, they push it on forward as though it were the right thing to do. Paul is saying, I want you to see what the root of the whole problem is of our culture and of our churches and maybe even of our own lives as he deals with this and works with this. Paul talks about three things here that are very important. The first thing he talks about is 
that, that people knowingly reject the Creator for idols. They knowingly reject the Creator for idols. And, and because of that, because their worship goes toward the idols rather than toward the Creator God, because of that, God gives them up. We'll see what that means in just a minute. And then finally, because God gives them up and they've rejected His truth, they go into this, this downward spiral, if you will, and people fall into deeper and darker and deeper and darker sin as it goes down. Paul says, until we understand those three things as being the essence of the problem in our culture, in our world, in our churches, we will never be understand what the essence of true Christianity really is. Christianity is not just some religion that you kind of practice when you want to. Christianity is not just something that, that you say, oh, well, I think I may go to church today, and I might go again next month on one day. Matter of fact, the song we sang, you know, Jesus, you are our all, and we give you our all. That's the essence of the Christian faith, and that is the heart of real, biblical, true Christianity. The Bible knows nothing of a Christianity that's part-time. The Bible knows nothing of a Christianity that says, I'll, I'll follow this one day, and I'll follow Christ another day, and another day I'll do something down the middle, but I never am totally and completely committed to any one particular way. J- Jesus, in talking to the, uh, to the, churches, at Eph- uh, the churches in Revelation, the, the first few chapters of Revelation, he comes to the church at Laodicea, and he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're just lukewarm. I, I wish you were one or the other. Just either give it all up and go do your own thing and follow your own idols completely or follow me completely. But you're just kind of playing with idols and, and playing with me and going down the middle, and, and that's lukewarm, and that makes me sick. That's what Jesus said. Those first three chapters of Revelation, and, and indeed the book of Romans along with it, are, are, are books that will, are passages that will do one of two things to most people. It will either turn our hearts to Christ and cause us to enter into a new dimension of worship and glory in Him and walk with Him, or they'll make us mad at the preacher, the messenger. Okay, can't get mad at God. But the truth is, Paul is saying this is the importance of what, what God has to say, and God wants us to understand. When he talks there in verse 25, which I said was going to be kind of the central thought of what we're doing today about this digressing. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Typically, when we look at Romans, we kind of gloss over that verse. We just kind of speed read over it because, I mean, that's just talking about, you know, what exchanging truth for a lie and all that. And we, get, we really like to concentrate on the sin that is mentioned in verses 26 you know, through, through 20, uh, 28 or so particularly. We really don't want to pick up very much on verse 29. We're, we're happy to talk about the, the, the obvious sin of homosexuality that the Apostle Paul says is something that is a result, though, of what has taken place early on in verse 25 and 26. Understand, Paul is not saying God's judgment is coming on the culture. God's God's judgment and wrath is coming because there is homosexuality. God is saying, listen, here's what happened. You exchanged my truth for a lie, and I gave you up. And this is what happens when God gives you up. He clearly says, you know, they, they got their just 
uh, they, they got their just reward. They got their, their, their recompense of, of serving themselves and serving idols rather than serving God is what takes place. And it manifests itself in all these ways. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But the key here is they exchange the truth about God for a lie. You, you know, the truth of the matter is you live what you believe. You live what you believe. You say, no, 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 I, I speak about what I believe. I talk about what I believe. Well, yeah, you, you do that and you should do that. But in many cases, we talk about what we believe and we live in a total different way. Have you ever noticed that? I remember years ago hearing the pastor say one time, he said, you know, if you, if you show me your calendar and your checkbook, I'll show you what you worship. You show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll show you what's really important in your life. And, and, and we'll determine whether it's Christ or whether it's something else, just by looking at those two simple little things. And, 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 and really, in reality, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here when he says you exchange the truth about God for a lie, and you worshiped and you served the creature. You, creature, you made this exchange of truth for a lie And when you make the exchange of truth for a lie, then you begin to worship something else besides God. Now, you may say, well, I worship God on occasion. I come to worship. You know, a lot of people come to worship and never worship. Are you aware of that? A lot of people come to worship and they never worship. They're they're physically and presently here. And they're sitting in the, in the aisle, they're sitting in the pews, they're sitting in the chairs, and they're, and they're saying, I, I'm here to worship. And they never really worship because their hearts are always thinking about something else that's more important to them, something that's drawing their affection, something that's drawing their attention. And, and they might glance at God occasionally, but their focus, their gaze is always on something else. Their gaze is not upon God. Their glance is not upon the things of the world and the gaze upon God. Their gaze is upon the things and their glance is toward God on some occasions. That happens because we exchange the truth of God for a lie. You live what you believe. It's demonstrated by the outworking. Paul said that to the Philippian Christians. He said, listen... Uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work for your salvation. You do works in order to get salvation. I'm not saying that at all. He says work out your salvation. That's which by God's grace and by the work of the Holy Spirit has been placed in you. Now you work it out for others to see. You work it out so it becomes obvious. You work it out where you don't have to tell people, you know, I, I'm a Christian. They, they know there's something different. Now you may have to express to them why you're different. You don't just think you're some kind of super person but but the truth of the matter is what is internal what is inside you will come out the 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 proverbs writer said you know out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks what is in the heart is what's spoken what is in the heart is what's lived and that's what the apostle paul is wanting us to see here he's talking about the truth about god the truth of god and exchanging that for a lie the concept of knowingly volitionally swapping truth for false teachings, swapping truths for man's teaching, swapping the truth that God has revealed, that God has made clear through his word and through his son Jesus Christ, swapping that 
or something else. We could go down a list today and say, what are some things that people believe today and believe in today instead of God? And, and you can make all sorts of lists. I'm not going to give you any. I'll let you think about that. What are some things that, that people believe in, put their trust in, put their faith in that's not Christ and Christ alone? What do they depend on for their security? What do they depend on for their happiness? What do they depend on for, for their pleasure? Rather than Christ and his word and what God has said we should pursue. When you exchange the truth of God for a lie, your worship changes. You worship creatures. You say, I don't, I don't bow down to my dog. I have a dog. I don't bow down to that creature. I don't bow down to another man or woman. I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, but just think about there's, there's more than just a physical bowing. There's an allegiance and a trust that goes a long way. For instance, I saw somebody use this example this weekend, and that's why I'm not drinking out of my glass. I'm drinking out of a bottle. If I were to tell you over and over and over again that I really believe that if you drink water out of a plastic bottle, it's going to give you cancer. I really believe if you drink out of this, it may give you a heart attack or a stroke. And if you drink out of this, excuse me, it's going to make you really sick all the time I'm drinking out of it. What are you going to ascertain out of that? What are you going to perceive from that? You're going to say, he can say all day long he believes that's going to happen, but if he's standing there drinking in that bottle over and over and over again, he doesn't believe it. We can say things, and they are totally contradicted by how we live. And Paul is saying that's what's happened in our culture. Oh, we, we sometimes give allegiance to God. We, we give civic religion, you know, a, sort, a civil religion, sort of an acknowledgement at all of our public gatherings. We may have a prayer. We may say a pledge. We may, we, we may do any number of things. We may sing God Bless America or whatever it might be. But in doing that, we're just giving lip service because our lives don't reflect what we are actually saying. As a matter of fact, the problem in the church is that we have come to this so badly that we live with sort of a casual Christianity and a casual church life, that it's, it, it's a matter of just saying, well, church is there, and I know it's there, and when it's comfortable, when it's convenient, I'll be there. But it's not a priority. Now, I'm not saying you got to be in church every time the door opens to be a Christian. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if your worship is on God and, and you really know Christ and worship is your focus, then you will want to be there every possible opportunity that you can. It's not to be right with God, but it's to show your love for Him, your allegiance for Him, your worship of Him. But Paul says in our culture and in his culture, it's so true today that we've exchanged his truth for a lie. We believe a lie. We believe it about sexuality. We believe it about gender uh, focus. We believe it about everything you can imagine. And some of them that we're not going to like that we believe the lie about. That Paul. Most of us are very comfortable saying, oh yeah, let me tell you that, that gender stuff, that homosexuality, that's all wrong. Say that, because that's not where we're at. Paul doesn't leave it with that. Paul doesn't leave it with the, with the most obvious. But he says this, this exchanging truth, this change in worship changes everything. So, so what he's saying is, is that sin flows from idolatry. 
Sin flows from worshiping something wrongly and worshiping the wrong objects. And and out of that, he says, listen, the, the truth of the matter is we become like what we worship. We become like that which we worship. If you're worshiping Christ, you're becoming more Christ-like. If you're worshiping the living God, you're you're becoming more holy. Uh, Not in holier than thou and not in a self-righteous holiness. But if you're following him, there's that change. There's that that change that's taking place within your life that's bringing you into more Christ-likeness. Because that's who you worship. That's what you worship. That's how you worship. If you worship your own pleasure, then, then that becomes the focus of your life. You've got to have more stuff. You've got to do more things. You've got to have more fun. And if the fun gets boring, you've got to find something more exciting so you can increase the fun because you're worshiping pleasure. And if that's what you're doing, that will become your God, and you will become like that God. In the church, maybe not at grace so much, but across the, across the country particularly, uh, we've kind of moved to a point where... The, the scripture sort of, well, it's sort of something extra, something that we approach casually. We we can go. We we went to a conference this weekend. Some of us men, and we, we we Friday night I was ready to come back to Somerset. Saturday got better, but Friday night they had speakers who who rarely even rarely even mention the scripture. So Christian men's conference, barely didn't even read a verse. Didn't even. Having the one guy did finally get around and read a bunch of verses. His message was off, off kilter, I thought, but at least he read some verses. It kind of got some of the word in there, at least. But, but we live in a day where the word of God is kind of, well, that's an old book. It's a book about stories. That's you know we we know the stories of the Bible, but but those are so out of touch. Those are so out of our realm of reality. Surely they're not really still relevant for us today. Yes, they are. If we believe that this is God's word, if we believe this is God having spoken, I remember in 1978, a group of men, many of men, some that I knew and many that I respected, over 300 of them met in in Chicago at O'Hare Airport and held what was known as the Chicago Council on Biblical Inerrancy. And out of that, they they wrote the, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. And and it was signed by people like, like uh, uh, James Boyce and John Gerstner and Carl Henry and, and uh, Roger Nicole, who had the pleasure of pastoring in Florida, J.I. Packer, uh, R.C. Sproul, Francis Schaefer, and on and on. It went men that I respect greatly. And they wrote and they signed this document. And, and the first two articles just dealt with the authority of Scripture. And the authority of the Scripture, they said, were two articles, one on authority and one on Scripture and tradition. Article 1 said, we affirm that the Scriptures are the supreme written norm by which God binds the conscience and that the authority of the church is subordinate to that of Scripture. We deny that church creeds, councils, or declarations have authority greater than or even equal to the authority of the Bible. That's a pretty strong statement. We believe that the Bible is God's authoritative word, that there's authority there. The authority of Christ flows through that book. Article 2 is about Scripture and tradition, and it said we affirm that the Scriptures are the supreme written norm by which God, excuse me, I just put the same one in two times. Basically, it says, if I could paraphrase, 
that the Scripture does not draw its authority from the church or from a council, but the Scripture is in and of itself authoritative. The closing statement, though, is what was so clear. The closing sentence made this statement. It said, we affirm that script, what Scripture says, God says. We affirm that what Scripture says, God says. May He be glorified, amen, and amen. The problem in our day is, when it comes to this idea of exchanging the truth of God for a lie, we're willing to believe anybody and everybody rather than God. We're willing to say, oh, well, you know, and what that does is it diminishes the creation and it diminishes the height of creation, man and woman themselves. It makes us no more than an animal. It makes us no more than, than somebody that just is right to just pursue our own pleasure like a, an animal would. If you, if you don't believe that, look at what's taking place in the whole area of life. Look at what just happened to, to the baby in England that, that could have gotten some medical care here in America, but because of the, the medicine, the way it's set up in England, they wouldn't even allow him to come to America to try to get it with other people paying for it. No, you can't do that. Well, Charlie Gard. I mean, we've, we've diminished the view of life because we've exchanged the truth of God that, that man is a unique creation. He's not evolved from an, uh, from an amoeba. He's not something that over millions and millions of years just kind of worked its way in out of chance and out of, out of all this stuff coming together by accident. But rather, he's a special creation of God with due honor, and he is to pursue God, his creator. But because of his sin, he doesn't. He pursues man. He pursues the creature rather than the creator. Thomas Cramner, the, 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 the English reformer and ultimate martyr because of his faith, made the statement, he said, you know, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Has there ever been a statement any more clear of what describes our culture today? What the... What the heart desires what the heart loves the will chooses to do and then the mind through gymnastics of saying god's word doesn't matter what i say matters it justifies every kind of disobedience to god in 1971 carl henry who was the editor of christianity today convened a meeting of 20 leading christian thinkers and at that meeting he asked them this this simple question he said Citing the final third of the 20th century, now this is 1971, citing the final third of the 20th century, what do you think it offers the church? Thinkers like Francis Schaeffer and others begin to put out what they thought the end of the 20th century might be. Francis Schaeffer even wrote a book, The Church at the End of the 20th Century, after this meeting with Carl Henry. But perhaps the most profound statement was this by, by a, a Quaker theologian named Elton Trueblood. And Trueblood said this, and it's just so intriguing. He said, by the year 2000, that was 17 years ago, by the year 2000, Christians will be a conscious minority surrounded by an arrogant, militant paganism. And I don't agree with Elton Trueblood on a lot of his theology. Let's be honest with you. He's a lot more liberal than I'm comfortable with. 
But in that statement that he made to Carl Henry and those other scholars, those other thinkers sitting in that room in, in uh, Carroll Stream, no, this was actually in, in Washington, D.C., sitting in that room with these Christian thinkers, when he, when he, that is a prophetic utterance. Because I'm not sure we made it there by 2000 exactly, but we made it there by 2017 without any trouble. We are now a conscience minority surrounded by an arrogant, militant paganism. Refusing to acknowledge God. And refusing to acknowledge Him, exchanging His truth for a lie, refusing to do that, God says, okay, okay, I'll give you up. That's the second thing Paul says here. They, they worship false gods that are no gods at all. That's why I wanted Pastor Scott to read that passage out of, out of Jeremiah. I love that Jeremiah uses as an example of a false god a scarecrow. None to be scared of by a scarecrow. Some dumb birds might be, but nothing we can be scared, should be scared of. But the scarecrow has no brains, you know that from the Wizard of Oz, has no brains, cannot see, cannot hear, cannot walk, cannot move itself around. If you want another part of your garden, you've got to move the scarecrow somewhere else physically yourself. And yet many people are giving themselves over in our world and in the church to scarecrows. Not made of straw and old thrown-out clothing, but just as false and just as untrue. So, so Paul says, God gave them up. Three times in this passage, he says, God gave them up. And, and what in the world does that mean? It, it basically means, listen, God said, okay, that's enough. You want that? You can have that. You want to pursue that? You want to pursue false gods? You want to pursue yourself as God? Last Sunday's sermon was, if there is no God, I must be him. That's where Paul is going. That's what Paul is saying. He said, I will, I will just give them, have your own way. You see, the truth of the matter is, in the world in which we live, there is, in addition to special grace, there is common grace. Now, special grace brings salvation. Special grace brings us into a relationship with the living God to know Him intimately, not just know about Him. Psalmist says everybody knows about Him. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The heavens declare His, His invisible attributes. We all know about Him. Everybody knows about Him. They may refuse to acknowledge it, but they know about Him. And that's, that's, a, that's a common revelation. That's a general revelation. And out of that general revelation comes a common grace. That, that doesn't lead to salvation, but it, it leads to some blessings. It leads to God's restraining hand. Scripture says, the rain, Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. If you're a Christian farmer and, and you're farming next to your neighbor who is a pagan, who curses God and, and has nothing to do with God and hates God and hates Jesus and everything else, if it comes a rainstorm, God doesn't stop the rain at your property line, does he? It rains on the just and the unjust. That's common grace. In common grace, God is, is restraining behavior. Always. He's always restraining behavior. When you, when you cut that person off in, in a line of traffic that's an unbeliever, common grace usually keeps him from pulling out a gun and shooting you in his anger. I, I won't put you in the other car. You're, I'll let you be the cutoff person here. 
not the one cut off, because I know you've got special grace, so you'll not do that way, act that way. But God is constantly restraining his common grace. When we look at the world around us, we say, oh man, you've got people like Adolf Hitler and Mussolini, and you've got people like Stalin and Paul Pott, and you've got, got people like Charles Manson, and, and you go on and on about all these horrible people. Can I tell you that none of those were as evil as they could have been? You may find that hard to believe, but it's true. They were all not as bad as they could have been, and, and nobody in the world is as bad as they could be because of common grace. But Paul says there comes a point where God says, listen, I just give you up. Your persistent rebellion, due to your persistent rebellion, I'm just going to remove these restraints and allow people to have their own way. One thing I want you to notice here, this is very, very important. You will not have morality. You cannot have morality without God. Now, I know the atheist will say, oh, no, atheism can, atheists can be good. What is good? What is a standard of good? Well, you do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Where does that come from? It's not a natural thought. That's a divine thought. That's a, that's a divine revelation thought. You say, well, you, you know, you just, people are just genuinely nice and good to one another, so, so you can have morality. No, man cannot do it in and of themselves. They just cannot do it. There'll come some point where they're given over, and, and, and they may go all the way into these debased things Paul talks about. They may not go quite all the way. They get there. Paul says he gives them over, and when he gives them over, fall into deeper and deeper sin. Now, I want you to see this because it's real easy to say verses 26 through 28, boy, that is so true. That is a horrible thing. Men exchanging what's natural with woman for other men and vice versa and all this. And Paul, Paul says that's, that is sin. And, and I realize if you're in school today, you're probably told that's not. That's the lie. And there are probably some in here who say, well, I don't believe that's a sin. Well, that's, 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 between, that's between you and God because God says it is, and, and you've got to deal with him, not with me, okay? But the truth of the matter is, that's not where it stops. That's where we want to stop it because that's, what, that's not what we're involved in. That's somebody else, and boy, they really are bad. But then he goes on. Here, look at what he says about this, this uh, giving them over. I don't believe it causes cancer, by the way. But, but giving them over. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. That is just a faulty thinking. And they do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness. Do you know that? Paul calls covetousness idolatry. I, I told the Wednesday night prayer time, we were looking at this passage a little bit and kind of thinking about today, and I sometimes think through Sunday morning with that group. And I said, you know, Paul calls covetousness idolatry. You know what we call covetousness in America? Shopping. Sometimes just window shopping. But, oh, man, Listen, I'm having to struggle with that myself right now. I won't get into that because I don't want to confess my sin to you yet. 
evil, covetousness, malice, just having malice toward one another, bad thoughts, mean thoughts toward one another, just, just being mean to one another. You see that in our political culture today. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. I'm sure Paul did not mean to put in here among all those horrible things and homosexuality and all of that stuff. He certainly didn't mean to put in, they are gossips. Yeah, he did. Gossip is a sign of that downward spiral of disbelief in the true and the living God because our gossip tends to always carry with it too much. I remember talking, uh, my pastor in seminary talking to me and, and, uh, and a group of pa- young pastor students. We were in seminary and he had this class with all of us and, and we would meet every Sunday night and, and, and one of the guys asked him, it wasn't me, probably should have, but one of the guys said, well, what is gossip? What is gossip? And Brother Paul said, you know, most of the time for the Christian, gossip is prayer request for somebody else. And and it's just usually what, I know you're not going to believe this, but, and then you share it. But he said, here's his definition of gossip, and I like it. Gossip is sharing something true or, well, it had to be true to be gossip. Other would be slander. Sharing something that is true with someone who is neither a part of the problem nor part of the solution. Who doesn't have the power to make it right and who didn't cause the problem. That's a pretty good check. It's a pretty good way to think about it when you're tempted to talk about something, share something. He says, says, part of this downward spiral is gossips, and then there are slanderers. They slander people. They they say things about them, true or false, that that has the intention of hurting them. They're they're haters of God. They're insolent. They're haughty. They're boastful. They're, They're inventors of evil, all kinds of evil. They're disobedient to parents. Okay, teenagers. Young people, it's a part of the believing a lie. Because I think I know more than my parents know. God said, honor your father and mother, be obedient to your father and mother. The days may be long on the earth, but, but you know, mom and dad are so out of touch. I know more than they know. I remember that attitude. Not just from my kids, but when I was a kid. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, here's the point of dealing with that this morning. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They exchange what God says is true for what man says is true, or culture says is true. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, so they shifted their authority to where God is no longer the authority, but now I'm my own authority. I determine what's right and wrong. I determine what's good and evil. I determine what I can do and can't do. God, you don't have any authority over me because I've exchanged your truth, your word, for a lie. 
there's a downward spiral that will sometimes spin out of control. Here's why the solution to immorality is not just to address people's behavior. This is really important. I don't want you to miss this. The solution to immorality, whether it's homosexuality, gossip, lying, uh, adultery, name it. The, the solution to, to someone's morality, immorality is not just to address their behavior. You also have to address what they worship. What do you worship? What have you exchanged? What have you given up for something else? Paul says it always leads to it. Now understand, Paul doesn't say God's wrath is being shown because of these sins. God's wrath is being poured out because of a lack of worship. Uh, uh, John Piper once said the reason, the reason we have missions is because there's a lack of worship in the world. The reason we do evangelism is because there's a lack of worship. If everyone was worshiping the true and the living God, submitting themselves to Him, there'd be no need for missions and evangelism. But because the world is filled with those who've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, who refused even to see His invisible attributes and His existence in the glory of the creation, we have to go tell them about it. And we're commanded to go to everyone. Everyone in Somerset, Kentucky, everyone in Pulaski County, everyone in Kentucky, everyone in the United States, everyone in the world. But we start here because there's false worship. There will be an enormity of digression into sin. Let me ask you this, and I'll close with this. What are some of the sins that mark people who are, who've been given up by God, who have been turned over? Are there any of those that are prevalent in your own life? Are, are there some of those besetting sins? Now, I believe a, believe a believer cannot be an idolater consistently. Understand that. I believe we can fall for idols and, and we have to be called back. But the Holy Spirit will always call us to repentance and will always call us back. Always. A believer cannot believe the lie consistently. Because a believer looks to God's truth, not what the world has to say. So I just ask you today, what's your authority? In your own heart. Don't, don't think about the person sitting next to you or the person in front of you or the person behind you or, 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 or somebody that's not here, don't think about, boy, I wish they had heard this. No, it's not about them, it's about you. Are you looking just for an easy believism? Scripture knows nothing about that. Are you looking for a, a Christian that can say, I believe in Jesus, I've joined a church, now I'll be ready when the Second coming happens, or when I die and go to, go to be with him. I mean, a lot of people shocked one day when they stand there and he says, uh, you know, I don't know you. Well, yeah, you do. I was, I was in church a good bit. I was in, you know, I, I went to vacation Bible school as a child. I, I, I walked an aisle. I was baptized. I went through the water. 
You'll say, yeah, but you believe the lie rather than believing me. You put your trust in things and put your trust in other philosophies, not in me. You knew a lot about me, but you didn't know me. Who do you know today? Who do you know? Where's your authority? Where's your trust? Let's pray. Father, that is not a, that's not something that's easy to hear. And, and truth be known, I would just as soon not have had to deal with it. Truth be known, I'd rather just gloss right over it like so many do. But Lord, as I've said for 40 years of ministry and right here on this pulpit in front of me. I'm required to believe, to teach, and to preach what your word says is true, not what I want it to say is true. Father, your grace is sufficient to overcome any of those sins listed in that catalog of, of really difficult things. But Lord, your grace is sufficient because you said it was. And Father, I simply ask you to confirm that in our hearts, confirm that in our lives. Lord, help us believe you and your word because as the Chicago Statement said, where the scripture speaks, you speak. And it's all to your glory. Father, we're going to sing, receive the glory. That's our passion. That's our desire. That's our, that's our goal is for you to receive glory. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever. Psalm 115, 1. Father, receive the glory through our repentance. Lord, fill us with your joy that supersedes happiness and pleasure and everything else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.